Welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, as we finish our NFL season preview, we are going to do a mailbag episode. You guys sent in a bunch of great questions. I feel like my brain is basically empty when it comes to new stuff to talk about. And you guys thankfully came through, had some great questions, sort of, you know, made me consider things differently a bit and wanted to sort of, you know, touch base and see what sort of things you're thinking about as the year begins. So a lot of interesting questions. Want to make sure we get to all of them. So I will just go ahead and get started. And it begins with a question from Max Maliska. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, Max. Uh, Hopefully I got it correct. But this question, realistically, would any general manager in the league rather have Jordan Love over Justin Fields? This narrative of Love being ranked above Fields on lists when he's had less than 100 dropbacks in four years is mind-boggling to me. Fair point from Max, and I wanted to answer this question to get into sort of the idea of our overconfidence about how we see people and teams heading into the season. I saw this a bunch with Stephen Ruiz's list at The Ringer, where Stephen does great work, really works, you know, watches a ton of tape, looks at the numbers. I don't always agree with Stephen. Stephen has a very smart and insightful opinion that comes from Stephen's really well thought out and really you know, wide-ranging opinion. And the the one that was really bothering people there was Matthew Stafford over Jalen Hurts. With Matthew Stafford, uh, I think he was 16th on Stevens' list by the end of the season last year. He was now 9. Jalen Hurts was 10. Uh, that first off, that's sort of, uh, you know, uh, th- 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 there's a level of, of misconstruing happening there. Stafford was higher, of course, before he got injured. He's now healthy. That's going to help. But when it comes to how confident we are about what we've seen versus what we haven't seen or how confident we are about what we've seen in the past versus what would happen in the future, so many things happen from year to year that relying almost exclusively on what happened over the prior 12 months, not taking anything before that into account, assuming people who are getting better are going to continue to get better, assuming that people who are getting worse are going to continue to get worse, and assuming that you know, not having seen somebody is proof that they're not any good, which happened a lot or came up a lot in the Trey Lance discussions. We have to be more realistic. We have to be more thoughtful about what we don't know, more thoughtful about sort of the unknown and and our projections. And so I want to take those two different scenarios on with Stafford over Lance and Love over Fields as Max asked. So starting with Love over Fields, um, Obviously, Justin Fields has had some positives, some negatives as an NFL starting quarterback. I don't need to get into the lack of help he's had. I think there's very fair reasons to be suggested that Justin Fields has another level we're going to see from him in 2023. There's also people who might look at what he's done over the past two years and say, hey, his... uh, you know, his propensity for taking sacks. He's not been a very, you know, he's not been a a great quarterback when it comes to going with the progressions. He's been sort of, you know, limited to what he can do. And I I don't think very highly of him, which not my opinion personally, but people can certainly have that opinion. And if you think Justin Fields has proven himself to be a below average NFL quarterback, and you're not confident he's going to improve, which again, I want to make clear, not how I feel, but certainly how someone could feel given what they've seen, 
than the unknown of a Justin uh, of of a Jordan Love. Even though we have not seen Jordan Love play, the possibility that Jordan Love is better than that might be more enticing to somebody. I, I'm not saying I agree. Not saying that it's going to not to be the case, but can certainly say that I can see how somebody might think that. And when you flip it to the Matthew Stafford, Jalen Hurts discussion, I would put Jalen Hurts ahead of Matthew Stafford. I also think we're coming off of a year where Matthew Stafford was injured and playing behind an offensive line that was destroyed by injuries, while Jalen Hurts, who was awesome and was hurt at the very end of the year, but healthy for most of the season, made a major leap, played behind the not only a very healthy offensive line, but I think most Eagles fans would say the best offensive line in football with two incredible receivers as opposed to one in Cooper Cup with Dallas Goddard for most of the year who's a very talented tight end with a great running game which Hurts did contribute to as well of course everything was great around Jalen Hurts last season and everything was dismal around Matthew Stafford I don't know how things are different if you put Stafford in the Eagles offense and and Hurts in the Rams offense given the personnel around those people and so given that we have a longer track record with Stafford, given that Hertz has only really had one year playing at the level we saw from him a year ago. I'm not saying that I agree, but I think it's bizarre to say that the idea that, that Matthew Stafford is better than Jalen Hurts is disqualifying, that you can't possibly have that opinion, that you can't possibly be right about that. And the only reason I can say that, say that with some confidence is think about a year ago. Think about what happened last season with Jalen Hurts and Matthew Stafford, you would have been absolutely nuts. You would have been insulted. It would have been embarrassing if you had suggested before the year that Jalen Hurts was not going to be better than Matthew Stafford, but significantly better than Matthew Stafford. And of course, that is exactly what happened. I think our our, our confidence in projecting out to next season, to projecting what's going to happen, to projecting what each quarterback's level of play is, there's just bigger error bars around each of those measures than I think people are suggesting. So again, not saying that I think Matthew Stafford is going to be better than Jalen Hurts. I don't think that. Not saying that Jordan Love is better than Justin Fields. I don't think that. But you can disagree without thinking that it immediately disqualifies the other person's opinion. Tim Dunn asks a different sort of question. Which team benches its starting quarterback first? I see a few teams. He mentions Tennessee. Tampa Bay and Washington off the top that for different reasons seem one three-game losing streak away from benching their week one starter. I would say that I don't believe Ryan Tannehill is going to be the quarterback who gets benched early in the season. Maybe Mike Vrabel will just decide to make a move. Certainly when they went to Ryan Tannehill from Marcus Mariota in the first place, Vrabel, I believe, said the quote was, uh, he just wanted the spark. Like he, he, he wasn't, you know, he, he was honest. He just said, basically, we're not good enough with Mariota. We need to give Tannehill a shot. Obviously, the rest was history for Tennessee and that offense. But given how much they're guaranteeing Ryan Tannehill, his base salary becomes guaranteed now uh, as he's on the week one roster, it wouldn't make sense. If they were going to move on from him so quickly early in the season, you would have to figure they would have cut him or traded him or done something to his salary in training camp uh, unless they really felt confident that he was going to be their guy for the entire season. Now, get to December, maybe. If Tennessee's not contending, you figure Will Levis, Malik Willis, uh, would make sense to play given Tannehill would be in the final year of his deal. But I do believe that quarterbacks will get benched elsewhere before then. 
Tampa Bay, I guess it makes sense. We we don't know if Kyle Trask is any good. Again, this is an uncertainty thing. Um, he didn't win the competition with Baker Mayfield, which Baker Mayfield was the worst quarterback in football last year. So it's not a good sign. But I think at some point, Tampa will want to see uh, what they have in Kyle Trask, especially if they're in a what looks like a lost season in midseason. But the team that comes to mind for me, and this is almost cheating, it almost seems unfair to say them, is Arizona, where it feels like they're just embedded with chaos. Jonathan Gannon came out today in his press conference and would not reveal whether they were starting Joshua Dobbs or Clayton Toon in week one of the NFL season. And there, there's really a element of just sadness to that that competition. It just feels sort of pointless that there would be you know, sort of a, a, an element of trying to hide who's going to be starting. Clayton Toon has never played an NFL snap. He is a fifth-round pick in this year's draft. Uh, Joshua Dobbs played very briefly for Tennessee last year. He was in, in camp with the Browns. You might not know the offense entirely. I think he has some prior experience with the uh, personnel here. I think Drew Petzing, um, he has some uh, experience with previously, but you get the idea. This is a this is an offense that is not going to be good. And wouldn't shock me if they change quarterbacks at halftime just because they're flailing and don't really have a good option either way. So Cardinals would be my pick if I had to pick a team. Joey Hickman asks, what's the best indicator for you of a quarterback on the verge of making the leap, a la Josh Allen or Jalen Hurts? And I have two thoughts about this. One, we are maybe a little spoiled when it comes to expecting quarterbacks to make Josh Allen or Jalen Hurts-sized leaps, especially how quickly those guys were able to pull it off, where they went from being really negatives on their team's roster to solid, exciting players to superstars over the course of three seasons. That does not happen very often. Josh Allen made the single biggest leap in completion percentage from year to year after you adjust for era via the numbers at profootballreference.com in the history of the National Football League. Jalen Hurts went from being one of the 10 worst quarterbacks, I believe, or one of the 20 worst quarterbacks, a very a very bad performance in terms of completion percentage adjusted for era in his rookie season to being well above average last year. And of course, they got more pieces around them. Josh Allen got Stephon Diggs. Jalen Hurts got uh, A.J. Brown to add to his arsenal of playmakers in Philadelphia. But realistically, we can't count on players to make that sort of leap year after year. We can't count on there being a guy who makes the Allen leap or makes the Hurts leap. That is really setting the bar high. Not saying it's impossible, and there are quarterbacks who you would figure it could happen this year. Justin Fields, who I just spent the first question saying, you might think he'd be bad. Um, he might be the guy because he's getting DJ Moore. Um, and, and I think getting to the the question about the best indicator, I want to see two things typically for that I saw from these guys. Number one, and this seems obvious, get a number one receiver around them. So Josh Allen got digs. Hertz got A.J. Brown. Not that Devontae Smith was not a number one receiver, but obviously A.J. Brown, a, a you know, an alpha receiver. And, and having two number one receivers is not a bad thing by any means. But I also think year-on-year year significant improvement. Like Allen took really big strides from, I believe I'm getting my years right, 2019 to 2020. And then Hertz from 2021, 2020 to 2021, excuse me. Those are th- those were major, major improvements. Those guys went from being 
looking like they might not be NFL quarterbacks to being absolutely guys who you could see as building blocks for those teams if things broke right and they broke in incredibly correct ways for them last over the last couple seasons. So I think that's what you want to see. I think it, it, the idea that they're going to make a leap from being a below average or replacement level quarterback to stepping into immediate superstar status, that might be tough. And so when I look at someone like Fields, where for various reasons, he has not been that caliber of passer, even though he's been able to make an impact as a runner, asking him to be someone like Allen or Hertz, tough. I, I think he'll make strides this year. I think he'll be better. Don't know that he can be that caliber of quarterback where he's competing for an MVP trophy. But hey, stranger things have happened for sure. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Darkwing Duff asks, what would you do if Mac Jones shows improvement and finishes as about the 12th best quarterback in football this year. I'm concerned that regardless of whether they pick up the fifth year, it's looking like a Daniel Jones scenario, or maybe Kirk Cousins. Wow. Very specific uh, evoking of quarterback quality here. Not a good long-term plan in this AFC, Darkwing Duff says, and I can understand why you would feel that way. Certainly feels like you need a dude. To, to quote JT O'Sullivan, I believe you need an Allen, you need a Mahomes, you need a Burrow, you need a, uh, a Herbert, you need a guy who absolutely terrifies the opposing team. And Mac Jones, it's not that guy. And even if he improves and he's the 12th best quarterback in this year, he does not realistically have the skill set to be that guy. But I remember when Tom Brady was that guy. I remember when Tom Brady was not the you know, the guy who made incredible throws, the guy who, you know, what was was dripping with athletic ability, that he was the guy who could hit, you know, throws to any part of the field. He improved and got stronger. His arm got stronger as his career went along. And of course, he had that spike in 07 and never looked back. But Patriots won three Super Bowls with that guy early in his career versus Kurt Warner versus Peyton Manning versus the best of the best, the MVP candidates at quarterback early in his career. We saw Eli Manning, who did not have the necessarily the the freakish ability uh, some of his uh, fellow quarterbacks at that time went to Super Bowls. We saw Joe Flacco, who was in a conference with, you know, Peak Brady and and several other terrifying quarterbacks win a Super Bowl and things break right. Obviously, 
you'd rather have Mahomes, you'd rather have Herbert, you'd rather have one of those guys who are, are capable of seemingly anything when they step onto the football field. But you can still win a Super Bowl with Mac Jones. You can beat those guys with Mac Jones. You just have to have more go right. And I think the Patriots, of course, have a great defense. They have, um, I think, an okay offensive line, especially if Riley Reef does come back. If they can keep that line healthy, I think that's the big difference maker for them. Playmakers, not necessarily thrilling, but Ramondre Stevenson, a very exciting running back. They have a, a legitimate playoff contender. And if they have the 12th best quarterback and Mac Jones continues to improve, and maybe he becomes the 10th best quarterback or the 8th best quarterback in football, and he gets hot for a stretch in the playoffs like Flacco did over a decade ago, not crazy to think they can win a Super Bowl, even with that version of Mac Jones. Greg Mercurio asks a question about the New York Giants. He says, are you not high on the Giants because of talent and team in general, or just because they got a lot of breaks last year? And the answer is a bit of both, Greg. Uh, I wrote about this a lot in my column. I had a couple columns on the Giants this offseason. One was focusing specifically on them and the Vikings in terms of how unique it was in terms of how they won games. And then they both appeared in my four teams most likely to decline column, which came out last month. You can find both of those on ESPN+. And in terms of the talent... It's not that this is an untalented football team or less talented than it was last year. You would figure they'll be better in some places this year when it comes to their roster. Their secondary, which is still a work in progress, to be fair. Still some questions about the secondary, but they do add Deontay Banks. They add a first-round pick to the mix. They were not great in the secondary last year. They were really trying to piece together guys. And then at wide receiver, which again, don't know if they're great, but having guys like Paris Campbell, having Jalen Hyatt as a third-round pick, hopefully getting Wondell Robinson back from his injury later on this season. And of course, the big one adding Darren Waller uh, to take over with Neil Bellinger as the starting tight end. All of those are upgrades on the talent they have. There's there's young pieces on both sides of the football you'd hope would improve. Evan Neal, um, Kayvon Thibodeau, you know, guys who were, for, were top 10 picks last year who you'd figure they could take the leap. They get Aziz Ojolari back, who missed most of last season. All those things are positive. There's nothing wrong with with those, that group of players and being excited about that group of players. But I do think, assuming everything that went right last year is going to keep going right, and everything that went wrong is going to be fixed by the personnel additions they've made, is typically a very bad way to project the upcoming season. The Giants were so fortunate and and had such incredible timing, especially on defense. You know, they were one of the worst offense, worst defenses in football on first and second down and one of the top two defenses in, in football on third down. They were one of the five worst defenses outside of the red zone and second best once teams got inside the red zone. It's just hard to keep that up week after week, year after year. And for the offense, I mean, if everyone's healthy and plays well, that's great. They're going to be a good offense. Brian Dable, Mike Kafka are great coaches when it comes to, you know, game planning and, and scheming stuff up. There's no doubt about that. But last year, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley were healthy for the entire season for the first time together in their entire careers. Barkley had one healthy season before Jones arrived. And Darren Waller has missed basically uh, half of the the prior two seasons because of injuries. So if those guys are healthy for 17 games, then yeah, the Giants have reasons to be optimistic. If Evan Neal and Thibodeau take a step forward, if if Banks is a impact player from day one, yeah, the Giants are going to be good. But 
tough for me to believe that all that stuff is going to go right and everything that went right last year is going to continue to keep going right this upcoming season. Adam Wells, 1985, asks, with coaches being more flexible at schemes and seemingly more diverse talent than ever at the position in college right now, is it possible we'll ever get to a point where we talk about quarterback classes like we do wide receivers, where it's impossible to have a truly bad group ever again? And this is a hard one to answer, but again, I think there's a level of overconfidence here about, okay, the last few years have been pretty great when it comes to those quarterbacks and wide receivers, or at least seems like they've been pretty great and tough to imagine that happening again. But I go back to the quarterback class of 2021 and how confident people were that those guys were going to be hits and they succeeded at basically the historic rate we would have expected. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones. That group right now, do you feel confident that Lawrence is good now that he is not with Urban Meyer? Wilson and Lance look pretty disastrous, especially for the second and third overall picks. Field and Mac Jones? I don't know. There's a there's an element of, you know, maybe it might work out this year, but not crazy to think that one of those two might drop off. You might get one star and one solid quarterback out of those five, which is pretty brutal for, um, you know, such incredibly high draft capital. Plus then Kyle Trask in the second round, Kellen Mond and Davis Mills in the third round. Not not truly bad. So I think by the definition of truly bad, like it wasn't all busts, but inevitably there'll be a year where there's just not going to be a lot of good quarterbacks out there or you're going to have um, – you know, guys who don't develop. Like, if Kenny Pickett doesn't turn into an above-average starter, that year is going to look like a bad class because no one really broke out. I guess we'll see what happens with Brock Purdy. But um, among picks before the final selection in the draft, that quarterback class might not turn out to be all that exciting. And with wide receivers, the reality is you're just drafting so many of them year after year that you're never going to have a year where they all fail. That's just not going to happen because when you draft 40 or 50 wide receivers, it's inevitable a couple of them are going to turn into NFL starters and, and pro bowlers. But go back to 2017, where you had Corey Davis, Mike Williams, and John Ross in, all in the top 10. Maybe one of those three would be drafted again. I don't Maybe Williams, but Corey Davis was disappointing. Had a good year for Tennessee, one good year for Tennessee before leaving in free agency. He now just retired. John Ross bouncing in and out of football. Mike Williams, you know, it took a while. I don't know that we're there yet. Like he's he's a above average number two receiver. It's not like he's a number one guy. And I think when you take a wide receiver in the top 10, you're hoping for a number one. But keep going into that draft. In the, fir- the first three rounds, you have Zay Jones, Curtis Samuel, and Juju Smith-Schuster in round two. Samuel got paid. Zay Jones had a solid year for the Jags last year. Juju had that one crazy year for the Steelers, but none of those guys have been superstars for extended periods of time. In round three, you get Cooper Cup and Corey Godwin and Kenny Galladay, who was good for a while. Great. You also get Taewon Taylor, Darius Stewart, Carlos Henderson, Chad Williams, Amara Darbo. Uh, I'm not saying this to say, you know, that those guys think i'm just saying it to say it's hard to project wide receivers and it's hard to count on you know having a significant portion of your wide receiver class be great so depending on how you define truly bad i i think there will still be disappointing quarterback classes and disappointing uh, wide receiver classes even if it feels right now like that's hard to do so i think it's a good question and i think that you're going to get 
more successes because I think teams are smarter. There's more access to film. There's more access to data on these guys. Um, you have you have coaches, especially on the pro level, who are more thoughtful about how they use players. You know, integrating a lot of stuff they were using in college to to accommodate them. The these sort of gap between what teams are running in college and what teams are running in the pros is smaller than it was 30 or 40 years ago. But I do believe that we can still have bad quarterback and wide receiver classes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chris Benson says, what star is going to dominate the trade deadline chatter after their team gets off to a slow start? And I feel bad. Like, it won't matter who I pick, this one is going to be frustrating or, um, you know, is going to get someone angry. So I, I would say maybe Saquon, like just thinking about who teams, who's a, who's a valuable player who has you know, who, who can be a significant difference maker, who teams would like a player who plays for a team that does not want to sign him to a long-term contract, which does, seems pretty clear the Giants don't want to sign Saquon to a long-term deal, and a team that has a tough start to the season. And the Giants, to begin the year, get the Cowboys, they get the 49ers, who just signed Nick Bosa to a massive extension earlier this afternoon. The Seahawks, the Dolphins, and the Bills. Now, they also play the Cardinals, so that is that is their saving grace, but that is a rough stretch to start the season. And if the Giants start 3-3, three and three, of course, they're not trading Saquon Barkley, but let's say they start 1-5. and five. Let's say Daniel Jones is hurt. Let's say that that team looks like it's going to be a sort of uh, consolidation year after their growth the year before. And the Giants are not intending on signing Saquon Barkley to an extension, which they've pretty clearly signaled they're not desperate to do so. Would they trade Saquon? To me, I think that would be a realistic conversation. And given how we saw the Niners turn their offense and their season around, acquiring Christian McCaffrey last year, would there be a team interested in trading for Saquon Barkley? I think we would have to wait and see. But obviously, um, Jonathan Taylor comes to mind for the Colts as well. Um, it really depends on who starts. Um, but pass rushers cornerbacks, receivers, always going to be in the mix. Someone like Marquise Brown, maybe with the Cardinals could make sense. I don't know if he qualifies as a star at this point of his career, but Zach Ertz, you know, wouldn't be shocked if a team wanted to give Zach Ertz a shot. It's just a tight end they can trust to run Hank and, uh, you know, get, get, get six-yard basic routes over the middle of the field. But uh, there'll, there'll be pieces on the move when we see actually who starts slow in 2023. Leo Talbot asks a, a question that I think is important to keep in mind for this upcoming season. He says, if Jordan Love plays well this year, do you expect teams to try harder to sit first-round quarterbacks for a season? Or is Love just a special case where he was drafted to a team with a decent quarterback, similar to Patrick Mahomes? And Leo did most of my job for me in how he asked this question because he really has most of my answer in there. So let's start with 
the special case? Because oh, actually, no, let's start with the the first part of the question. Do you expect teams to try harder? Leo asks to sit first round quarterbacks for a season. If you ask NFL teams what they're going to do when they draft quarterbacks in the first round, unless they are totally hopeless at the position, if they have a bridge quarterback, maybe they'll be honest with you and tell you, yeah, we're going to start that guy in week four. But I've heard from so many teams over the years that they say, hey, this guy's not ready. We're going to sit him. He's going to learn behind Tyrod Taylor or Chad Henney or Brian Hoyer or whoever else they have on board as their veteran starting quarterback. And the first time that quarterback struggles, the first round pick comes in. It is inevitable. The Steelers last year were a perfect example. The, Mitch Trubisky was starting for them early in the season. There was no evidence that they were ready to go to Kenny Pickett. And instead of you know, bringing Kenny Pickett in with a week of reps to prepare, you know, with the ones to to be part of the game plan. They bring Kenny Pickett in at halftime of a game against the Jets, where Jets are a great defense. Um, Steelers were down 10-6 at halftime. Wasn't as if they were in a situation where they were totally desperate for a quarterback, but depending on who you ask, depending on what you hear, uh, some members of that organization were very aggressive about wanting Kenny Pickett in the lineup in the locker room at halftime, um, I, I suppose. Now, were the Steelers planning on putting Kenny Pickett in week four at halftime? No, but they got desperate. They decided, we want to see what we have. We want to give him a shot. We need a spark. Coaches, for all the plans, the best laid plans they have, for all the thoughtfulness they have, for all the long-term visions they have, for whatever they think in March and April and May and June, once they get to September, they will do anything for a victory. And that includes putting in your first round pick to hope that he sparks the team. And that's not going to change unless you have, to Leo's point, a Mahomes where you have a guy who is playing at a high level where you don't have that, that, that conundrum, that problem. Unless you have a Brett Favre in the case of Aaron Rodgers or an Aaron Rodgers in the case of Jordan Love, unless you have a guy who is playing at a Pro Bowl level where it's not just one bad game, but it would take like a Matt Schaub stretch of bad games for that guy to get knocked out of the lineup. We're going to see teams go to first round picks like like, yes, I'm trying to think of a good example, like Carson Palmer take his first year off, but that was John Kitna you know, playing well all year. I think their plan on paper was to go to Palmer at some point, or, or if they were being honest, was to go to Palmer at some point, but Kitna played well enough that it didn't matter. Um, it, it is just so hard to resist pulling that lever when you have the opportunity. So I'm, I'm skeptical that even if Jordan Love plays well, that it will make a difference. I, I don't think anyone really changed the way they approached quarterbacks when Mahomes succeeded. Um, I think about the Bills with Josh Allen, right? Where they, you know, Allen wasn't ready. They have Nathan Peterman start week one. Nathan Peterman was so bad that Allen was in by the end of the fourth quarter in week one. Chris Leeper asks about the Seahawks. And he says, am I right to worry the Seahawks will regress? Gino is a bit rough in the second half of the season and the interior of the defensive line is very thin. And I don't know that I think the Seahawks are going to take a step backwards, but I do think it is a fair concern and a fair thing to be worried about, especially when it comes to Geno Smith, where 
to Chris's point, Gino, he's 100% correct. Gino was fourth in the NFL in QBR through week nine. And afterwards, he dropped to 18th. Now, 18th still pretty good. Seahawks fans would have loved signing up for the 18th best quarterback in football in the form of Geno Smith before the season. But my big concern here for Geno Smith is the interception rate. Before last year, he threw picks on 3.7% of his career passes. Last year, cut that in half, dropped it to 1.9%. He was very accurate, had receivers who made his life a little easier in terms of you know picking 50-50 balls out of the air. Uh, Geno Smith played really well, but the interception rate might not be sustainable. Not because he's going to throw inaccurate passes, but maybe he's just going to make bad decisions, or maybe he's going to be, you know, force the ball into windows that maybe aren't there. Sometimes quarterbacks do get better at avoiding that stuff as their career goes along. But you also see journeymen or middling quarterbacks have huge seasons and totally change their perception around the NFL by virtue of one-year flukes and interception rate. Josh McCown comes to mind for me. I believe it was with the Bears. Damon Ewart had a year like that with the Chiefs. Even Michael Vick had that season with the Eagles where he took over as a starter. Interception rate dropped well below his career expectations. He made it to the Pro Bowl, looked great, and then he was really back to the old Michael Vick in terms of his interception rate from that point forward. Geno's accuracy is real. Like he, he was number one in the NFL in completion percentage, completion percentage over expectation. Like he can put the ball exactly where it needs to go. But there's so many factors that go into play. There's confidence. There's staying healthy. There's, you know, uh, working within the context of the scheme. There's, um, you know, sp- there's there's situations changing where you're more desperate to throw. There's the ability to, you know, the the nature to, you know, push and try to make plays that aren't there. Like there's so many things that go into a, a player's performance from year to year that, I, you know, I, I want to see it with Gino in terms of the interception rate for a second season, because if he does throw picks on 3.7% of his passes this year, that's going to be a problem. I don't know if that's going to sink the Seahawks, but it is going to limit what they can do in terms of their ceiling on the offensive side of the football. And I don't, again, don't want to say something that is going to be reported as, this is what I think. I, I don't believe Geno Smith is going to be benched. But what I am going to say is, it's not like a 0% chance. It's not like Patrick Mahomes, where you know Patrick Mahomes is not getting benched. It's not like uh, Josh Allen, where Josh Allen's not getting benched. It's like, this is the same organization that did not have Geno Smith under contract when they made the Russell Wilson trade last year. That, according to our reporting at ESPN, was specifically negotiated with the Broncos because they wanted Drew Locke as their starting quarterback. So to Pete Carroll's infinite credit, he turns everything into a competition and Geno Smith won that competition fair and square. But this is an organization that was very curious about what they had with Drew Locke. And if Geno Smith does struggle, would they give Drew Locke an opportunity? I, I would be, I wouldn't rule it out. So to me, I think there's like a 10% chance that happens or a 5% chance that happens. But I do want to see Gino sustain the improvement with his interception rate to make me more confident he's going to be the guy from last year going forward, because that guy, of course, was a playoff caliber quarterback. Pedro Enrique asks, after years of poor drafts, signings, the Judge Patricia experiment failure last year, and so on, is Bill Belichick, I'm assuming he said BB, I'm assuming that's Bill Belichick and not Bill Barnwell, is Bill Belichick finally at risk of being fired this season? Hopefully not be. If the Patriots have a negative record at their bye week. 
do you see the Patriots firing Bill Belichick during the season? Man, that would be a story if the Patriots fired Bill Belichick in week 11. They play the Commanders and the Colts before that. So if they lose to the Colts and Belichick got fired during the bye week, that would be crazy. But I don't think it is going to happen, Pedro. I I frankly... I've seen plenty of reporting, plenty of of conversation about the, you know, about the Patriots and about the situation with Bill Belichick. I would keep a couple of things in mind. Number one, still doing a good job on defense. Like that defense has been incredible year after year. And Gerard Mayo deserves some credit. The various Belichick children deserve some credit. But Bill Belichick is the guy at the end of the day who was responsible for that defense. And they're still playing at an extremely high level. So don't know that that would be an improvement if the Patriots moved on from him. But I also don't, the the Kraft family does not strike me as the sort of family to fire Bill Belichick at all, let alone in midseason, given all he accomplished for this organization. Now, if the Patriots have a terrible year, if they go 5-12, and if the Krafts think it's time to move on, would they go to Bill Belichick and say, "Hey, like we're 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 ending this. Do you, you have the ability to retire? You have the ability to take a role within the organization that's not head coach. We'll kick you upstairs to some kind of like president or ambassador role. We'll allow you to retire, and then if you want to come back in a year, we'll let you leave, or we'll we'll agree compensation for you to go somewhere else." That I could believe. That not out of the realm of possibility. Again, pretty unlikely. I, I don't think. They're desperate to fire Belichick. Like he's, I mean, he's still Bill Belichick. Like he's still, to me, one of the best coaches in football, even though some of the personnel moves have not necessarily been all that great. And I'm someone who thinks the Patriots are going to be much better on offense this year with Bill O'Brien as their offensive coordinator. But like, like if you're firing him, what, who are you firing him for? Like, are you, promoting Gerard Mayo well is Gerard Mayo going to be that much better at this role than Bill Belichick like who's going to run personnel who's going to be head is Bill O'Brien going to be the head coach now that I mean Bill O'Brien could be a solid head coach you don't want him running personnel unless he learned a lot of lessons from what he did last time so especially in midseason can't imagine it would be surprised at the end of the year as well but hey Andy Reid got fired um you know if Andy Reid can get fired in Philadelphia anything is possible couple more here. Tim C says, if Brock Purdy flames out or gets injured again, which everyone seems to be putting on a relatively high chance, he suggests, which I, I, I don't know that I agree with that. I feel like people are generally penciling in Brock Purdy to be the guy we saw last year. Does it make sense football-wise for Tom Brady to finally play for the 49ers? Does Tampa have to consent to allow this to happen? And hey, I mean, I understand the Tom Brady rumors are never going to die, especially when he unretired once to play last season. And of course, it was not his best year by any means, but that was in Tampa with a banged up offensive line, with a play caller in Byron Leftwich who could not get the running game going. Different situation in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan. But everything Tom Brady has said is that he's done. Like he is not, you know, he's not like he's not in shape. He's of course he's Tom Brady. He's still eating avocado ice cream, I'm sure. But, you know, it's not like Tom Brady is sitting there uh itching to come back or or saying, "Hey, you never say never." Like he's saying he's done. So, uh, you know, certainly the sun 
feel like he is desperate to come back. Situation might change. The opportunity to win a Super Bowl comes up. But I, I would say that the the Niners were very clear in terms of what they did this offseason and signaling how they wanted to approach their quarterback position. They went out and they eventually traded Trey Lance, but they bring Brock Purdy back and they paid Sam Darnold a not insignificant amount of money. His one-year deal was for four and a half million dollars with three and a half million dollars in guarantees, basically saying, hey, that's the money you pay if you're very much expecting a guy to be on the roster. Um, they, the year before, um, oh boy, I can't think of the, the, this quarterback's name. The guy who was the uh, backup in the tank game for the Eagles during the pandemic that got the Giants upset because the Eagles basically tanked uh, when Jalen Hurts came out of the game. I will think of this person's name in a moment, but they gave him about $2 million in guarantees. Nate Sudfeld is that gentleman's name. Nate Sudfeld got, I believe, $2 million in guarantees for the 2022 roster, presumably to be the backup to uh, Trey Lance. But when Jimmy Garoppolo's market didn't develop because of his shoulder injury, and it looked like it was going to be Lance and Garoppolo, the Niners cut Sudfeld and let him go elsewhere. They paid Sam Darnold a pretty meaningful amount of money for a backup quarterback. So that suggests to me, at the very least, they think Sam Darnold can be a guy for them. And if Brock Purdy struggles or gets hurt, I believe they would give Sam Darnold a chance. Now, if Sam Darnold and Brock Purdy were both unavailable, would would Kyle Shanahan make that call? Yes, um, I think he would. But the Buccaneers would not have to have a say in the matter because the uh, the Buccaneers had Tom Brady's contract void earlier this spring. Tom Brady is a free agent, technically. But what I do remember, and I don't know how this how this actually played out, there was some uh, concern about uh, whether he was actually able to complete the purchase, but Tom Brady is the minority owner of the Las Vegas Raiders, or was intending to become the minority owner of the Las Vegas Raiders. And I, this has never been tested to my knowledge. I can't imagine it would have come up, but I don't know whether you can be the minority owner of one team and play for another team in the postseason. That that seems like there would be some conflict of interest there. And not one of those things where you can just sell a portion of a football team overnight. Like it would be tough for me to believe that Tom Brady would be able to, you know, get a call from Kyle Shanahan on Tuesday, sell his stake in the Raiders on Thursday, and then play for the rate for the Niners on Sunday. So I think it's unlikely, but I mean, hey, you never know. I'm gonna finish up with this question from Harry. And I, I have disagreed with some people here, hopefully thoughtfully, hopefully I've not been dismissive of anybody's uh, suggestions because I think there's lots of smart questions here, even if I don't always agree with the premise or with the read of the situation. But Harry asks, why is the media so high on the Jets? Even if Rodgers is his old self, Nathaniel Hackett has done nothing to inspire confidence. And Harry, you're preaching to the choir here. I have been relatively skeptical of the Jets this entire offseason and not always been treated with the most kind of responses in doing so. And that is fine. I've gotten stuff wrong before. We'll get stuff wrong again. Could very easily be wrong about the New York Jets. But 
the the really simple or really basic sort of uh, view of okay, we had a great defense last year. Now we're getting Aaron Rodgers. He's a lot better than Zach Wilson. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback. We're going to win a bunch of games. Maybe that works out that way. Not crazy. Like that's not shocking by any means. But there's a lot more to be concerned about than that, as Harry is alluding to. You start with the defense, where obviously tons of talent. Sauce Gardner's awesome. DJ Reed is great. The, the the pass rush looked incredible during the preseason. And it was like the backups. It was, you know, the rotation guys. It wasn't even Quinn and Williams who was looking dominating during the preseason. So they're deep up front, which is the hallmark of, um, you know, uh, Joe Douglas, a guy who spent time in Philadelphia. Uh, not surprising that they would be building a deep defensive line. But this was also the healthiest defense in football last year when they made a leap forward. And we know historically that there is a what Bill James called the plexiglass principle. When teams do make a big leap from one year to the next, they typically take a step backwards the following year. They typically decline the following season. And would not shock me if the defense took a step backwards in 2023 because they were not as healthy. They've already lost Chuck Clark, who was going to be one of their starting safeties for the entire season to a torn ACL. Um, doesn't mean that they're going to be bad. Doesn't mean that they're going to be you know, a defense that that stinks, but like we have, I believe it was DJ Reed comparing themselves to the 85 Bears. I would be surprised if that happened. Doesn't mean that they're a bad team by any means. But you flip over to the offensive side of the ball, and there are legit questions up and down this roster. Um, a little better because they did get Dalvin Cook. That was alleviating one of my concerns about Brees Hall, but Dalvin Cook was not very good last year. His rush yards over, he was healthy, so his cumulative numbers were, were, were good, but rush yards over expectation were a, believe, a career low, or at least a low in terms of the years we have data for from the NFL's next-gen stats. Um, did not have a huge market in free agency, as you guys saw. Um, Brees Hall, who looked awesome last year is coming off of a torn ACL. No guarantee he's that guy in his first season coming off of an injury. So um, that running game might not be quite as effective. The offensive line is dealing with guys coming off of injuries. The tackle situation is very nerve wracking. Drain Brown in his late thirties now coming off of a year. He was injured, had shoulder surgery, um, just made it back to practice a couple of weeks ago. He's going to be starting at left tackle. Makai Becton starting on the right side has played one game over the last two years because of various injuries. Looks to be in great shape. Awesome for him. Um, but he's never played right tackle or not, not played right tackle at the NFL level. Is going to have to get used to that on the fly, which ask NFL lineman. I know Jeff Schwartz has talked about this before publicly. It is hard to move from one side to the other, especially if you don't have much experience playing right tackle against some of the best players in all of football. So the offensive line is a concern. I know they have Billy Turner. I know they have Max Mitchell. I, I don't think those guys are above average right tackles. So you have those guys as concerns. I think Garrett Wilson is incredible, but also think it's going to take some time for him and Aaron Rodgers to develop rhythm. I know I saw that fade in the preseason. That was against, I think, the sixth or seventh cornerback on the Giants' step chart. So don't know if that was necessarily uh, telling. I think Garrett Wilson could have a you know a crazy like 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 wide receiver one in all of the NFL season. It's also a reality where he drops a bunch of passes early, which was a problem for him last year. And Aaron Rodgers gets frustrated and he does throw more to Randall Cobb and to Alan Lazard guys who, when they were on the field last year in green Bay, Rodgers's QBR dropped by about 23 points when he, when it was Christian Watson or Romeo Dobbs, um, where either of those guys were when, when either one or both of those guys were on the field, 
Rodgers was much worse. When he had Watson and Dobbs, he was much better when those guys, when, uh, when Lazard and Cobb were on the sidelines. And then you get to Rodgers himself, who is 39 years old. And hey, Rodgers took a major step backwards last year. He was not anywhere near as good as he was during the MVP seasons. And yes, he's motivated to prove the Packers wrong, and that has led to MVP years in the past. Um, I still think he's good. I think he's going to be better than he was in Green Bay. I think he was 26th in the NFL in QBR last year. And and I don't think he's the 26th best quarterback in football, but I do think there's some concerns about maybe he's not the guy who went back-to-back MVPs. Maybe he's just a pretty good quarterback as opposed to the MVP. And and if he were 27, I, I would be less concerned, but he's, he's 39 years old. Like quarterbacks in their late thirties approaching 40. I know Tom Brady spoiled us. They don't typically get better. Like the chances of them falling off a cliff are much higher than their chances of taking a major leap forward. Even though Rogers did it a couple of years ago and did take a major leap forward in his second year with Matt LaFleur. And then the final thing of course is the coaching with Nathaniel Hackett, who has not been a successful play caller at the NFL level. He was not very good with the Bills, with the Jags. Um, He was, I don't even mean to tell you, bad with the Broncos last year. By all accounts, he is a very nice man. Seems to be very good friends with Aaron Rodgers, which is nice. Nice to have your friends around. Love to do um, stuff with my friends. But Nathaniel Hackett's only NFL run of, and only successful NFL run has been as the quarterback's coach in Green Bay, where Matt LaFleur was the the primary offensive architect, architect and play caller. Hackett had some responsibilities. I think he was the red zone guy in Green Bay, and they had a year where they were incredible in the red zone. So that's a positive sign, but this is a guy who has not looked like an NFL caliber play caller so far as a pro. Having Rodgers and Wilson helps, but like, if you were going to tell me the Jets were going to win 12 games, I would not be shocked. If you were going to tell me they were going to win seven games, I would not be shocked. And I think that's the difference is I, I think either some members of the media or the broader national attention given to the Jets, it feels like their expectation or, or sort of the, the the what people are expecting is like the average performance from the Jets this year is like 11 wins and either winning the AFC East or being competitive throughout the entire season. And I'm I'm not that high. I think it's more like their average expectation is maybe nine wins. And I think there's just as much of a chance that they finish last in the AFC East as it is that they finish first. So I've been wrong before. I'll be I'll be wrong again. I was high on the Broncos last year. Goes to show what I know. Um but I do think there's more downside for the Jets than it might seem based on the preseason hype. So Harry, I appreciate the question. I think we're on the same page here. We'll have to wait and see what happens as football actually starts. And and guys, we're we're done with the questions here. We are done with the off season, done with the preview content. As you're listening to this, it is Thursday. It is the beginning of the NFL season. We don't know if Travis Kelsey is going to play tonight. Don't know if Chris Jones is going to show up like an hour before the game and play. Um, lots of uncertainty about the Chiefs as they head to this game against the Lions. But really excited for real football to sit here and discuss so we will be talking about week one or week two next week we'll be either previewing week two or recapping week one lots of football stuff to hit here and as we get into the season we're going to be talking about it here on the bill barnwell show hopping on other places as well and writing about it at espn.com so thanks so much for sticking with us through the off season and 
let's get going. I'm excited to talk football here as the 2023 NFL season finally begins this evening. 